Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Dissecting Philosophy with Dr. MacDonald. In this episode, we're gonna start moving our way past the prologue section and moving into part 1 of Thus Spoke Zarathustra. So we're going to deal in this episode with a section called The Three Metamorphoses. And the three images that Nietzsche deals with is that of the camel, the lion, and a child. So we'll be going over that, the notions of burdens, and how do we alleviate those burdens as placed upon us, and the relation into values, and how do we create new values. And we've got a great examples that we discuss as well of a feminist example and also one from the civil rights movement as well. So let's get cracking. Of the three metamorphoses, I name you three metamorphoses of the spirit. How the spirit shall become a camel and the camel a lion and the lion at last a child. There are many heavy things for the spirit. For the strong, weight-bearing spirit in which dwell respect and awe, its strength longs for the heavy, for the heaviest. What is heavy? Thus asks the weight-bearing spirit. Thus it kneels down like a camel and wants to be well-laden. What is the heaviest thing, you heroes? So asks the weight-bearing spirit, that I may take it upon me and rejoice in my strength. Is it not this, to debase yourself in order to injure your pride, to let your folly shine out in order to mock your wisdom? Or is it this, to desert our cause when it is celebrating its victory? To climb high mountains in order to tempt the tempter? Or is it this? To feed upon the acorns and grass of knowledge and for the sake of truth to suffer hunger of the soul? Or is it this? To be sick and send away comforters and make friends with the deaf who never hear what you ask? Or is it this? to wade into dirty water when it is the water of truth, and not to disdain cold frogs and hot toads? Or is it this, to love those who despise us and to offer our hand to the ghost when it wants to frighten us? The weight-bearing spirit takes upon itself all these heaviest things, like a camel hurrying laden into the desert, Thus it hurries into its desert. So what is exactly Nietzsche saying here? Becoming a camel. What is exactly this camel image that's going on? Is that for the everyday person or the regular person, we are burdened with values and norms and expectations that is precisely put upon us. And then all these norms, expectations, burden us, weigh us down. And so there's this sense of becoming weighed down by the force of society. 
and becoming weighed down with the expectations of someone else. And an easy example of this is, of course, to have the sort of overbearing parents example in which they expect their child to overachieve and therefore burden and pressure their child to excel and exceed in life and the things that they do, which at surface value or at face value of things, it's not really a bad thing in and of itself to want your child to succeed, but not in the sense of becoming overbearing about things because you're pressurizing them, of course, and then that makes them feel terrible about things because what happens when they fail to achieve and what about the effect that'll have on their mental health? And so in a sense, we have the idea of society as almost like this parental image in which it wants us to do good as citizens, wants to excel, of course, at what we do. But Nietzsche wants us to more think about the times in which it becomes overbearing for us and the effect that that can then have on us, that weight that it puts down upon us. And what Nietzsche's getting at here as well in each of the little examples is that what we're burdened with, what's all the weight that comes down upon us, is everything that's apparently meant to be healthy for us, meant to be good for us, but actually really is it, he's saying here. Because when we seek knowledge here, all what you're getting is getting feeding upon grass and acorns, you send away people who want to help you, so you're only left with deaf people who don't want to listen to you. You wade through dirty water. You listen to those and love those who despise us. So in each given instance, we have that move towards something that's unhealthy, move towards something that's metaphysical and away from the world. And so a good question is, which then is going to be the next little bit that comes up, what exactly do we do with all these burdens and weight that's placed upon us? How can we sort of fight back? So this is the next little section then, when we have the transformation into a line. But in the loneliest desert, the second metamorphosis occurs. The spirit here becomes a lion it wants to capture freedom and be lord in its own desert. It seeks here its ultimate lord. It will be an enemy to him and to its ultimate god. It will struggle for victory with the great dragon. What is the great dragon which the spirit no longer wants to call lord and god? The great dragon is called thou shalt. But the spirit of the lion says, I will. Thou shalt lies in its path, sparkling with gold, a scale-covered beast, and on every scale glitters golden, thou shalt. Values of a thousand years glitter on its scales, and thus speaks the mightiest of all dragons. All the values of things glitter on me. All values have already been created, and all created values are in me. Truly, there shall be no more. I will. Thus speaks the dragon. 
my brothers, why is the line needed in the spirit? Why does the beast of burden that renounces and is reverent not suffice? To create new values, even the line is incapable of that, but to create itself freedom for a new creation that the might of the line can do. To create freedom for itself and a sacred no, even to duty, the line is needed for that, my brothers. To seize the right to new values, that is the most terrible proceeding for a weight-bearing and reverential spirit. Truly, to this spirit it is a theft and a work for an animal of prey. Once it loved this, thou shalt, as its holiest thing. Now it has to find illusion and caprice, even in the holiest, that it may steal freedom from its love. The line is needed for this theft. So then we have this image of the line, and the line appears once we become annoyed, or once we want to lift this weight and burden from us. And in order to do that, we have to transform from this camel-like nature and become accepting of the weight that's placed upon us by society, by expectations of others. And it says Nietzsche says as well that we want to gain our freedom from all this. We want to no longer become overburdened anymore. We want our freedom from all that. But in order to gain our freedom from all that, in order to not become overburdened anymore, you have to fight with a dragon. And so the dragon then represents the way in which when you try to change any idea or try to at least start to problematize something, then in comes basically all the arguments in which you're going to say, well, why do you need to rock the bow? The whole thing works perfectly as a structure as it does now. Why do you need to come in and expose this as a problem? Is this even a problem? Why are you even making this a problem? Because if we go back to our overbearing parents example, of course, a child could come around and turn around and say to the parents, well, actually, I need a bit of a break. And of course, the parents could be like, well, that's absolutely fine. You don't need to do it quite so much anymore. And then from that, of course, you could say, well, maybe instead of doing it, you know, five days out of the week, they'll do it the three out of five. But really, that's not the point, is it? It's to say, well, nothing really has changed in that model because the parents are still going to be overbearing the parents are still going to be smothering their child and the child's still going to have all the same expectations on them. They're just going to have potentially just a little bit of a leeway in actually the relaxation that they get. Sure, that has like a momentary effect upon how we think about things, but overall it doesn't affect the overall mentality of the parents and it doesn't affect the overall structure upon things. And so the line then, in order to gain its freedom, has to 
expose deep structural problems within the values and ideas and the way in which our norms work in society in order to show that there's a problem that's going on, in order for that idea to change and to change the way in which we think about things. And one example we can see here is from the classic feminist movement in which we have in post-World War II women wanting the right to work because women in World War II, of course, with all the men having gone to war, then the women had to go to work in order to keep things working back at home, working in the factories and so on, helping produce various different military things. And when coming out of that, suddenly then, once all the men come back home, all the women are told, well, that's you out of a job now because such and such is going to replace you. And quite rightly so. Then the women are like, but wait a minute. What if I don't want to go back home? What if I want to work? So here we can see, of course, the the camel-like nature initially becoming burdened by the societal expectations of a woman should be ultimately a housewife. And then immediately the image of the lion when we no longer accept that norm that's placed upon us by society and want to challenge that idea. And another example is the civil rights movement in America where the African-American community precisely fought for equal rights because of the segregation of the black community and the horrible way in which just because of their skin color they were just horribly, horribly treated and still arguably horribly treated. And here we have the same image of becoming a line in which you've got the camel-like burdens and societal expectations that you'd accept this, of course, segregation and treatment. And then we have that line-like nature of, no, in fact, I want my freedom from all this. I want us to have equal rights. I want us to all be treated equal. I have a dream, as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said. And a great example is, of course, the famous example of Rosa Parks, in which there was a black section of the bus and there's a white section of the bus. And the bus got busy one day and then the driver moves the black section back to allow the white passengers to have the seats as they were standing up and so told the black passengers to obviously move back and Rosa Parks said no and there's a great quote from her autobiography here so Rosa Parks says people always say that I didn't give up my seat because I was tired but that isn't true I was not tired physically or no more tired than I usually was at the end of my working day. I was not old. Although some people have an image of me as being old then. I was 42. No. The only tired I was was tired of giving in. 
We could precisely see that nice Nietzschean sense of a line-like nature coming out of precisely that quote. And so for Nietzsche, we have this move towards wanting to create new values, but the line can't create new values. And why is that the case? Why do we have to have this last transformation into a child? And so that wraps up the little section we've got here. Why does there have to be this move that happens? But tell me, my brothers, what can the child do that even the line cannot? Why must the praying line still become a child? The child is innocence and forgetfulness, a new beginning, a sport, a self-propelling wheel, a first motion, a sacred yes. Yes, a sacred yes is needed, my brothers, for the sport of creation. The spirit now wills its own will. The spirit sundered from the world now wins its own world. And so we have this focus on affirmation and saying yes to things allows us to create new values. And of course, what do we not want is negation. And so the line can't create here because it's full of resentment, full of hatred. And what will this lead to is a repeating back of the metaphysical, the move away from the world, a negation of the body, a negation of the human species. And what, of course, what we want is all the positives of that. We want move back towards the world, the body, affirming our opinions about things, affirming diversity. And we can't get that if we're full of resentment. So we have to have this move towards the forgetfulness almost in order to lose all that resentment that's there. And what happens in this state, of course, is that pure affirmation, the joy of creation, and in creating new values, we can arrive at new concepts and ways of thinking about things in a way that's going to affirm the world and affirm a structural change about things. So really Nietzsche is saying here that what happens is that we have people who challenge the way we think, but ultimately it's they open the door for a whole new way in which we can understand and view the world. And it's going to be really sort of the next generation after them that can really open the doors completely for people and completely change the way in which we understand things and the way we view things. So if we turn back again into the overbearing parent situation, we can see the way in which we have the initial burden of the parents, expectations placed upon the child, lion-like nature of the child wanting to fight against the parents, get away from this strict, overbearing nature of them. And then finally, we have this sense in which they want to then create meaning for themselves, arrive at their own way of doing things. And in such a way, they've got to have this whole new beginning and whole new way which you have to think about things. And it's precisely that point in which he says, the spirit now wills its own will. The spirit sundered from the world now wins its own world, in which we then create our own 
meaning for things, our own world, as it were, through our own opinion, our own perspective about things. And in doing so, we reevaluate and reshape for ourselves exactly how we view the world. So this last little bit here that we've got. I have named you three metamorphoses of the spirit. How the spirit became a camel, and the camel a lion, and the lion at last a child. Thus spoke Zarathustra, and at that time he was living in the town called the Pied Cow. So that last little bit there of living in the town of the Pied Cow, we have Zarathustra and the crowd that he initially was talking to in the prologue section being compared to that of the herd and a herd-like mentality of cows being quite content, passive in nature, just masticating away, just chewing away on the grass. And pied, of course, means colorful. And so we have the, like, the colorful nature in which we're burdened almost. It looks good to be burdened with all the different values that's placed upon us in society. But we're all just sort of passive about things. We're all just subdued in how we go about our everyday life. But don't we look good whilst we do it? And it's kind of also saying here that it takes sometimes decades, centuries here for this whole way of thinking, way of changing how we think about things to actually take place. And of course, as in contemporary society as well, can say, well, is there any actual change that's taken place whatsoever between how we think about things? In fact, within philosophy, we can say the most recent movement or that of the um, postmodern has it actually helped us in how we think about things but there's a good reply to that in the sense of is it really the role or job of philosophy to tell us exactly all the answers to things and how we should think about things is it no more beneficial to us to show the problems of things and to expose those problems rather than to provide all the answers for them. And rather, the answers themselves can be left up to us and various different disciplinary approaches, different perspectives, rather than just philosophy. Thank you very much for listening to the episode. I hope you enjoyed my little chat about the three metamorphoses. In the next episode, we're going to be continuing on, making our way through part one of Thus Broke Zarathustra. Feel free to drop me a wee email at dissectingphilosophy at gmail.com. I can be also found on Twitter at I am a rubber man. Thank you very much for listening and I hope you join us next time.